Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by. Do you wish you knew the saints better? Overwhelmed with all the events in Catholic history and just wish you could tie it all together? It's tough work, and even scientists have determined that it takes approximately 400 repetitions to create a new synapse in the brain. Unless it is done with play, in which case it takes between 10 and 20 repetitions. Introducing Saint Cards, where the facts about saints and history are presented in fun and engaging games for ages 4 to 104. Check out Saint Cards at saintcards.com and begin the fun for your family, school, and parish today. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love. What are you doing this Lent? The St. Paul Center is streaming their newest video Bible study for free starting Ash Wednesday. Based on Scott Hahn's renowned covenantal theology, this is a study no one should miss. Invite your friends, Catholic or not. Don't miss your chance to see this premium study for free. Go to stpaulcenter.com to sign up today. Welcome to the Champions Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rubin and Coach Phil. The podcast where we share stories of faith being activated through sports. Welcome to episode number three of the Champions Podcast. Alongside Coach Phil Albert, I'm your host, Mike Rubin, and we are so excited that you have joined us. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great today, Mike. Excited to uh, talk to Luke. Absolutely, and we are very excited about today's podcast. We do have the privilege of having former Kent State Golden Flashes safety Luke Wallet joining us today. Luke was one of the top-rated safeties in the nation his senior year until he was sidelined with an injury. He had aspirations of playing in the NFL and was on track to, but that was when his life was turned upside down and addictions took over. He signed as an undrafted free agent with the New Orleans Saints, but unfortunately, it never panned out. It's an intense story that I'm going to have him tell, but Coach, it's a real story. And it's a story, unfortunately, that we're all too familiar with. There's no question, Mike, you know, and just Googling him a little bit and trying to get a little history background on him before we do the podcast today, it's a story that I believe many, many, many people will be inspired by. And uh, hopefully, again, that as people listen, they'll open the ears of their heart and be transformed by what Luke has to say. Absolutely. And we had the privilege of talking to him a little before hitting the record button. And I tell you, what I think is so awesome about Luke's story is it's a reminder of how God chases us down. And even when we think we're too far gone or when he is the last thing on our mind, God is right there on the other side of the door just waiting for us to open it. Coach, Luke's story is a story of hope. And as he found out, and he'll tell us in the interview, true hope is only found in one person, and that's Jesus. Amen. We, we're looking for hope today. 
in our culture in all the wrong places. And I believe Luke, in his uh, testimony in the interview today, will make it very clear on God's heart for people. I think that is spot on, Coach. And so here's the interview with Luke Wallet. Luke, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad to have you. You know, it's wild. Growing up playing sports, we all imagine people knowing our name and having a platform and doing interviews, but we never dream that those interviews will be somewhat focused around the darkest times in our lives. We always imagine them being about us being one of the greatest to play the games. And so I know you've got an incredible testimony. I'm so thankful for you joining us today. So how you doing, man? Yeah, yeah. First off, thanks for having me on. It's it's a blessing to to be able to speak with you guys. It's a it's a blessing to be alive. Amen. And and like you said, God God transforms um, you know, one of the greatest pains of my life and one of the darkest times of my life into to really a purpose and um you know, now I get to witness it firsthand and and what God's doing with people that are struggling and, and how only he can he can radically transform lives. So um, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to share my story and, and share the stories of others like myself. Absolutely. I mean, your testimony is amazing. It's powerful. I think it's a testament to the redeeming power of our Heavenly Father. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I think it's a testimony that a lot of student athletes need to hear. I mean, we're lying to ourselves if we think that there aren't other athletes going through what you went through. And so we trust that your story is going to resonate into the hearts of our listeners. And we trust that God's going to use it in ways that we can't imagine. So before we really get into the podcast, uh, Luke, we're just going to open up in prayer. So coach, will you lead us in a prayer? Yes, my pleasure. You know, the Bible says when two or more gather in his name, there will he be. So I thank God today, right now, that the Spirit of the Lord is here in the midst of us. Because the Bible says when we gather in his name, he says, there will he be. The Bible also says when two or more gather, or when two or more agree as touching anything here on earth, that he, our Father, which is in heaven, would bring it to pass. So, Father, I just thank you for your presence, and I thank you for the power of agreement. And I pray right now, Lord, as as we speak with Luke, as we share as we interact, we pray, Lord, that the ears of those who hear will embrace that which we're talking about and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And let all that we say and do honor you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. All right. So let's jump in. There's a lot I want to get to, and I'm really excited, like I said, for our listeners to hear your story. First off, I just want to say that by the grace of God, what we're going to talk about today has never been an area that that has been a struggle for me. I mean, I have my own struggles. This just hasn't been one. So I just want you to know at the start that in asking these questions, none of them are are me trying to be insensitive at any point. So if I I apologize if my wording on any of them come out like that, but please, uh, you know, take them with grace. But I just think your, your story is so important because I know student athletes that are, are, are struggling with drug addiction. And um, some of them feel like they can't get out. They're in so deep, they can't get out. They feel like they're invincible. They're young, man, nothing's going to hurt them. Or they don't even think that what they're going through is really an issue. And so I want to make sure we get as much out there as possible so that these student athletes can, can uh, 
you know, can just hear your story and, and, and know how to get help. And so, you know, we'll get to your backstory in a little bit, but let's just right, jump right into the thick of it. You're a senior at Kent State. You're playing safety. You're one of the top rated safeties in the nation. You're a projected third or fourth round draft pick. And many people would say that you're on top of the world and you've got it all. But Luke, take us into that senior year and just kind of talk us through that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I also, before I begin to that, I want to say, feel free to, to you, you, you can't offend me. I, I think part of the redeeming power of Christ is, um, you know, he took away, you know, a lot of things that were kept me in bondage, but he also did that so that I could spread his love. I, you know, I'm free from judgment. Um, how God sees me is the only thing that's important to me. And I, and I think using our pain from our past and things that we made mistakes because we're all human. Um, it, it just furthers, you know, the testimony and the redeeming power that we talked about. And so um, feel free to ask anything. And uh, my senior season, I was on top of the world. It was, uh, I'm from Youngstown, Ohio. And so Youngstown is a very popular hotbed for, for football. And so I think my senior season in high school, we had 78 kids out of the small community signed division one letters of intent. Mm -hmm. And I was a two star kid, which means, you know, I got some attention. I I had one scholarship offered at Kent state. And so uh, to get to where I was at my senior season, our Kent state team, my junior year, we actually played Towson the opening game in 2012. Yes. I and yeah, and we, we, we hadn't had a winning record or we hadn't gone to a bowl game in 40 years since 1972, Jack Lambert, Nick Saban, Gary Pinkle, uh, Don James was the head coach yeah. at Kent state. Yeah. And, and so the last bowl was the tangerine bowl in 1972. And our team went on that year to have, we were 11 and one, and we lost in double overtime to Northern Illinois, who ended up playing in the Orange Bowl. So our game, the MAC championship game, was to go to the Orange Bowl because both of us were ranked inside the top 16. I always joke with people, we kind of crashed the BCS system because, you know, Kirk Herbstreit and all these guys are on ESPN saying, no one wants to see Kent State or Northern <laughs> Illinois <laughs> in the Orange Bowl. You know, this is a travesty to college sports. <laughs> and so they're just, they're just hammering us. And, but they, the way the, the laws were set up in college football with the system is we were all automatic. Both of us were automatic qualifiers because we were ahead of the, at the time was the Big East. And so... It was funny. So they, our team got national recognition. I think we were 15th in the country at one point. And I became, I had my best, best season of my life, you know, top five in the conference and tackles led the conference interceptions. Um, I put a lot of hard work into that point. And, um, you know, we always, a lot of times we, we talk about how people, how to handle failure. Well, I didn't really know how to handle success that well. And so a lot of these, you know, different things started coming into my life. I started having agents call me. I started getting national exposure. I started having uh, media outlets want to talk to me. And it was really an exciting time, probably built up a little bit of an ego that I hadn't had in the past. And so senior year comes, top-ranked safety 
And the third game of the season, we're playing LSU. And LSU, they're ranked like eighth in the country. They had guys like Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Jeremy Hill, Zach Menberger. And I'm just a kid from Youngstown, Ohio. I love these games. You know, a chance to, to, to prove yourself. And um, I know a lot of NFL teams were watching the game because of the talent on both sides. And uh, third play of the game, I shoot out to the flat and I tackle, tackle their fullback and my knee gets stuck in the ground. And I ended up partially tearing my left MCL. And at that point, I, I kind of had a decision to make, you know, to continue out the season and or to, you know, to pack it in. But I, I wanted to, to see, you know, I, I wanted to see this dream through. I mean, I had a 16-year dream to play in the NFL, and so I wasn't really willing to give it up. And so that's, that's kind of where I made a decision to probably a more innocent decision than anything at the time to, to take some, you know, to some, some street-bought Percocets and to play through the pain. Yeah, and and so just kind of continue to talk to us through through that season. I mean, you start taking these pain medicines and just how is that affecting you? What, you know, uh, what's the next step after that? Yeah, so so I was exposed to pain medicine my sophomore season of college and I broke my ankle and I had surgery and <laughs> The pain medicine did exactly what it was supposed to do. It works for the pain. And at that time in my life, I really, I didn't really have any serious, I didn't have any knowledge or experience with depression, anxiety, high levels of stress. But with this injury, it was a little different. Um, you know, I started experiencing anxiety about my NFL future. I started experiencing depression about the timing of the injury. I started experiencing stress that I didn't know anything about. And, and like I said, on top of that, I was very ignorant to all these things. And so what happened with the Percocets, the following week we played Penn State. I had 15 tackles, and it works for the physical pain. But what I didn't realize is it did more for the emotional pain. And so it alleviated all these different stressors in my life. It, it eliminated anxiety and depression. And, uh, you know, and eventually it, it, it kind of, these drugs kind of wove their way into to, um, every facet of my life where if it started as a couple Percocets to play a game, it became a couple Percocets to practice on Wednesday. And then it, it became a couple to practice on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then it became a couple to wake up in the morning. And by the time my senior, my senior night in college, this is how fast it was for me. Um, a night that I'm supposed to honor the sacrifices of my parents. And, um, you know, a night to celebrate teammates and, and a career at, in college. Um, I no longer was able to get street bought pain medicine. So the next closest thing was to get heroin. Um, street bought heroin, which has a similar effect to the to the higher levels of uh, pain medicine, and so um, feeling like I needed this to be who I was, um, I kind of opened up Pandora's box, and um, ever since then, it, it just like I said, it just continually wove more and more to my life to the point where physically, emotionally, and spiritually dependent upon these things. Um, 
throughout my my training to New Orleans and all the way to the point of um, I was blessed with such a great college career that even after having horrible testing numbers at my combine, my pro day, with all 32 NFL teams there, you know, I'm running to the bathroom to, to, you know, to, to get high because I feel like I need this stuff to be who I, who I am at this point. And so I tested, I think I jumped like a 27 inch vertical. I ran horrible. I, you know, I was a shell of myself, but with my career I had, I was still picked up by the New Orleans saints. Um, by that point I was full blown active addiction. My dream became a nightmare and, you know, playing in the NFL, playing sports was the last thing on my mind. It became more about, you know, a seeking and using um, drug mentality that just, just took over my life, took over my family's life, and everything went out the window, dreams and goals and um, self-respect and morals and boundaries. And, um, you know, and I see it a lot with people I work with now. It's it's usually some type of emotional trauma coupled with a, a you know a few innocent decisions and that's really what happened to me and um, at that point I was released from New Orleans and um, I didn't really care I had got called for opportunities after that and no longer like I said a, 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 no longer something I wanted and so I just kind of went on a journey of um, self-destruction for the next few years. Was there any point at Kent State when you knew, hey, I'm in over my head, like this isn't just recreational anymore, I'm pretty addicted? Yeah, you know, I I don't know if it was at Kent State that that happened. I think part of what's so scary about it is, you know, I had – when I talked about like my ego getting built up a little bit, I, you know, the football mentality of, you know, you kind of, you handle your problems, you know, like I got myself into this problem. I got to get myself out. Um, you know, you don't really talk about certain things. And on top of that, my mentality was like, I don't know how anybody for, for, cause just because I never experienced it. So I'm thinking, how does anyone get addicted? Like the way that I talked about addiction and mental health was a barrier to me, you know, ever even seeking help because I'm sitting there thinking like, I'm not addicted. I have control of this. That's what we love to think we have as athletes, like total control over our bodies and in mind. And, um, I don't know if it happened at Kent state, but I could tell you it happened later on in life where I was like, you know, this is, this is a serious issue. Well, there's no question, you know, uh, you know, Luke, I used to tell our players all the time, you know, you're dressing the team before position meetings every day and, uh, you know, never underestimate the power of the drug. It's a subtle thing. You know, it's, it's like the devil. That's just how he does it. Right. He just, uh, disguises himself. It's subtle. And every player I ever dealt with that was had an addiction either to drugs or alcohol Everyone to a guy always said he really believed he could stop anytime he wanted. But, you know, that's not the truth. Once you get so far into the game, uh, you know, that lie from the devil comes in that you need that to perform at a high level. And and so it's, 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 it's not a uncommon testimony. I can tell you from my, like I said, 42 years of either professional, Division One, Division Three, Division Two 
athletes, you know, drugs are no respecter of persons. And it's interesting uh, how the devil today uses prescription drug uh, initially, you know, and you saw the, you saw the positive results of that. You know, you're taking a prescription drug, you're taking drugs off the street and, you know, this is working. Uh, I go back further talking to guys who are drinking, say, uh, anywhere from five to eight, 16 ounce uh, sodas with all that caffeine and sugar. Pretty soon, the, the caffeine and the sugar not giving me the kind of results that I want. So I go to a higher, uh, more potent thing. And pretty soon, I, I, I get some type of immunity to that. And then I go to the next thing. And pretty soon, I'm hooked. And uh, I don't know how to get back. But I praise God that you're here today, that you have this testimony. Uh, again, God said whatever the devil meant for evil, he would use for his good. And your your incredible testimony is helping probably thousands, maybe more, thousands of thousands of young men and women who bought into the lie. Because we all like the success. We all like the accolades. We all like people blowing smoke on us. But at the same time, we lie to ourselves because we didn't intend to use a drug. We never intended to be here. You didn't intend to be there. You were just trying to get to fulfill your dream by taking something that was prescribed to you to dull the pain. But then eventually, here's, here's where we are, you know. So uh, I thank God for your testimony. Uh, thank God that we have the opportunity to talk today. And um, I'll, I know my wife and I to continue to keep you in prayer. Luke, do, do, do yeah, you, I'm you, sorry, coach. go ahead, Luke. No, you're good. No, no, no. Well, I was going to say one thing, Coach, I love what you said, and I thank you for your words. And it's so true. It's, um, you know, the, the, the devil will look for just the slightest opportunity. And I always tell people, you know, you don't just, like, jump to the top of Mount Everest or snap your fingers. You know, it starts with a step. And I could tell you my first bad decision wasn't using heroin on my senior night. It probably started about two years before that, you know, yes. or, or you can even pin it back, pin it back to the point where I used those couple Percocets. sets. And it, it's like you said, it's not a problem until it's a problem. Right. And then what? Yeah. And so he, 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 he'll use, you know, it, it's like you said, praise God for, for um, being able to turn, you know, evil into good because, yeah. um, it, it, I've seen it happen to the best of people, and uh, you yeah. nailed it on the head. Amen. Luke, do you think anyone knew, like teammates or coaches? Do, do you think your senior year when you were, you know, working out with the Saints? Do you think anybody had an idea, like there's something going on with Luke? And if they didn't, how, how did you hide it? Yeah, you know, I think. It's funny. So I just spoke at the Mid-American Conference Mental Health Summit, and we're actually working on um, collaborating um, with the center that I work for now, Banyan Treatment Center, um, a drug protocol so that every student athlete has the ability for treatment. And that's always that. out of all the coaches and athletic directors that that question came up more than any other one. And it's, it's tough because the number one thing, and this is what the enemy wants from us, is to be isolated. Right. And so, like, that's the number one thing with someone that's struggling is I isolated from everyone. I lived by myself. I kept everyone at a distance. And, you know, even my athletic trainers, you know, they reflect back and they're like, yeah, we could have known. You know, I was probably coming in a little bit later. But when you when you know someone for so long, it's like 
um, the person that's struggling is usually isolating. And so that's always the biggest thing I tell people is if we can be more, um, it's something I need to even work on. If, if we can be more, um, uh, intentional and more aware just in our micro relationships and in our conversations, that's the best way to really see if someone's struggling. I think, I think conversation, um, is something that we've, that we struggle with now as a country because of technology, unfortunately, Amen. and just really paying attention to signs that people are, or when we're speaking to someone, are we really aware of, of, of things that are off with someone? And, um, yeah, cause isolation, that's, that's the biggest thing I tell people is, um, to check in on people that you haven't heard from and that you were close with, and you know, really die, you know, have intentional, good questions, you know, about them, and, you know, not just how are you good? See you later. And that's what, that's what conversations turn into. It feels like. Yeah. No question. No question. With the phone today has become our life and, uh, we don't, we don't converse with other people. We don't uh, relate. We don't spend time. We, but again, the one thing you said that I can relate to thinking back on many years, you said those trainers thought they could do something or they should have seen it. You know, my experience as a football coach, not only as a head coach, but as an assistant coach and working in the NFL, I think we don't want to know as coaches. See, we want to continue to win. And uh, if I know, then I have to do something about it. And uh, I can remember uh, oftentimes, you know, when our head trainer would bring me names of people who he believed were using steroids. How do you go from, say, 205 to 255 between May and uh, September. Um, mm. But, you know, in the back of my mind, even though I'm, I'm saying I'm concerned about it, uh, you know, I really don't want to know the truth. Uh, so sometimes, you know, the dark genius of the mind can rationalize any behavior. I One thing I know that God put on my heart that I did start talking to our athletes and other athletes and other programs where I, uh, you know, spoke to uh, – I would make sure our players knew if I, if I know I'm not going to dismiss you from the team. I want to know because I love you and I want to get the, I want you to get the help you need. And I think that's what needs to be communicated. I think a lot of players don't want other players to know they're drugging or drinking because uh, they don't want to be found out because they're going to lose their, their job or they're going to be suspended from the team or what have you where I think it's more important once we know we love you enough to get you the help. That's right. And I, coach, I love that because um, not only from the point of the, the coach, it's like, we, we, you know, it does become about a lot with, with winning and in, in, in the team and the other part of it. And one of the things we're trying to pass into the mid American conference is a safe Harbor program for the exact reason that you just said, it's so, it's so stigmatized still in the locker rooms to the point of, you know, uh, people aren't really willing to ask for help because they're afraid of their scholarship. Right. And, and it becomes an out for coach. It, here's the reality too with football. It becomes an out for coaches. So if a kid, if they miss on a recruit and the kid fails one drug test, he's off the team. If a kid's really good, he can get away with failing six or seven drug tests, and both of those have severe consequences long term for the for the young man or woman. That's right. And, and so, creating a safe harbor program because we're human and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to need help, I think, is something that that needs to be discussed. So, I'm really glad you said that. 
Coach, you're a big uh, either say ouch or amen guy, and I think we've had our first ouch moment of the podcast. Uh, you know, when you said about coaches just kind of not wanting to know. I think there were some coaches that listened that that might have been something they needed to hear. That might have been an ouch moment for them and something that they needed to hear. So, Luke, you talked a little bit about how conversation was so important. Are, are there any other tips that you can give the coaches that are listening today to say, hey, here are some things you might want to be on the lookout for. These could be some telltale signs that th- there could be an issue, an underlying issue happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think, like Coach said, either drastic weight changes one way or the other. I know a lot of a lot of teams, um, they monitor that stuff, especially in the off season and see it a lot during high high intensity um camps, like as far as like uh, spring ball or uh fall camp. And so definitely stuff along that lines. You'll see grades are a great way to monitor it. Um where you know, a kid that you know, he's typically a B, you know, B, C student. He starts getting some D's and maybe he fails a class. I can tell you my grades obviously went downhill. Uh, that's another way for a coach to, to, to notice it. And, and and I really like what Coach said, too, is, is to keep your eyes open for it because sometimes we just close our eyes to it. And the reality is the coaches that I do work with around the country that truly acknowledge that these things are real, they've built better programs. And that's just the fact of the matter. And I, I'll tell you, uh, John Haycock is one of the, he he's an amazing man. Um, I've heard him preach. I've I, he coached me two years at Kent State. Um, you know, and Coach Campbell over there at Iowa State. Those guys get it, and they love their players. And you know, when when people need help, they get them help. And you see what they're doing over at Iowa State. Yeah, and no I question. can tell you. That, the, the the coaches that 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 aren't intentional about this, these things, they end up the, they never build a true program. You know they don't they don't build that atmosphere. And I don't know why. I, I could, I'm sure there's a, a reason for it. But when when you know what's the great saying that you know the players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. And, and that usually that usually uh, shows with with how we treat these issues. Well, I think a lot of times, you know, the coaches, and just speaking generally, see, the coaches are insecure, and uh, they they want to win, and because of their egos, because of their position, that's how they're going to be evaluated. That's how they're going to be judged. So, again, we don't want to know, uh, and just as you said, we have to care more about the player, but if, if, but if they know up front, if they have a problem, whatever it might be, I mean, I've had players see that what you're saying is how I know is because behavior changes. When a behavior changes in a kid, whether it's academic, social, athletic, well, whatever, when that, when that behavior changes, you know something's up. And I've talked to our players about everything from, you know, uh, getting their girlfriends pregnant to everything from A to Z, jail, out of jail, this, that, drugs, alcohol, whatever. And, uh, that's why a coach has to see winning can't be the goal. Winning has to be the byproduct. And when our players know that we're going to work harder, we're going to, we're going to work as one because we're not trying to win. We're because again, I can't control winning, but I can't control doing my best. And if I trust the coach, see And every player is asking, going to ask the coach that question, whether they ask, actually ask it, they're going to ask that coach, can I trust you? 
and do you care about me? And when that answer is yes, you know, you're going to build a more cohesive, more successful group of people. And if, if the player can trust the coach, then he can come to him and say, listen, I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. And uh, we can offset some of these problems. But right now we're in a huge problem in our country with uh, drug and alcohol abuse. Amen, coach. And I, I think a lot of it is like, you know, we say at FCA, it's getting coaches from being transactional coaches to transformational coaches. You know, really, can, like you guys have said, really focusing in on affecting the hearts and the results will, will take care of themselves. So, Luke, let's kind of let's go back to, to your time at New Orleans. Are, are you... You, are you addicted at this point? Are you still using heroin at this point? How are you functioning enough to to do a workout with them? Yeah, so at that point in New Orleans, um, I was able to get on the planes, you know, enough enough pills to uh, to take them with me, and so that's kind of kind of how I got, you know, was able to make it through physically without throwing my body into, you know, some sort of, you know, deep withdrawal from these drugs. And, uh, and like I said, you know, that, that shows you the, the power of these things where you're willing to risk, um, you know, federal, you know, felonies to, you know, just to, to, to get by, you think you, you need these things and to become who you're, who you are. And so, um, that's kind of how I got the stuff down there. And, you know, you can obviously, you know, uh, if you're listening to the story, figure out how how New Orleans went. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't a great time. It was, um, you know, it's tough to be that caliber of an athlete coach, you know, and to be to be heavily addicted. And so my my goal almost down there was just to, you know, see what happens. And my mindset wasn't what it was, you know, a year prior to that. And so you're working out for them, and, and do things just not work out? Is your level of play not where it used to? And h- how does that kind of chapter close? Yeah, so, you know, what's incredible about it is I, I had a couple interceptions during seven-on-sevens. Um, you know, it was I, – I played pretty well, but the, the, the issue was mentally, and, you know, and physically – um, you know, the, down in New Orleans, the humidity is just right. incredible. And so I, I, I almost, you know, passed out one practice. And uh, so, like, I, I wasn't in peak physical condition at all. And on top of that, mentally, you know, they got, they got, they got you know, five, six, you know, front office guys sitting in these meetings, you know, listening to everything, you know, the, the detail-oriented, you know, how do you answer questions? You know, I remember um, Rob Ryan, who was the defensive backs coach, asked me a question, and I think I answered with like a defense alignment call, and I'm a safety, and you know the whole room starts like kind of laughing, and um, that's where I was at mentally. We're you know they give you like an install right. for for different practices, and you you're supposed to know it when you come the next day, and you know I, I was passed out in my bed sleeping instead of you know doing what I was supposed to do. And so it didn't end well, you know, I was there for a few weeks and it, uh, it all came crashing down and I didn't care. Like I said, I, I think I, when I got released, they gave me a plane ticket 
And, and, and listen, that, that's a tough level to compete at. So it's like, if you're not at the top of your game, <laughs> uh, my roommate, Casey Rogers, he was a safety at Miami, Florida. He tweaked his knee and they gave him a plane ticket home. And so I didn't really give myself any kind of opportunity or chance. And I, I know I remember sitting in the New Orleans airport and I took $800 to, to, to have a layover. And I sat at the bar for the next, you know, six, seven hours. Because uh, they overbooked a flight, and so wow. it's, it's unfortunate that, that that was the you know that was the highlight of the trip. You know, so it doesn't work out in New Orleans. You've got a plane ticket. Where do you go from there? And at what point does the turnaround happen? Where what is rock bottom? Yeah, it's, it's a, so this is really where you know I I. I I, I fly back to Ohio. My parents live in Youngstown, I'm from Youngstown. And I, I decided to go to Cincinnati, which is about four and a half hours directly southwest of Youngstown. It's as far as Youngstown as you can get away from in Ohio. And I started working down there with a teammate and uh, doing, I think, some kind of sales job. And, um, you know, the addiction's progressing and uh, things don't work out there. And, go back to Youngstown and, and try to get into my father's business and that doesn't work out and go back down to Cincinnati and, you know, I, I need to be a coach, you know, that's going to solve my problems. And, um, you know, I blamed everybody. I blamed everything I could. I, you know, there was always a reason outside of drug use and myself for why I was failing at this point. And so I get to Cincinnati for the second time. It's about three years later, and I get I get fired from a job because I can't show up on time, and um, I have no money. I'm you know at this point I'm either sleeping in my car or I'm sleeping at an extended stay uh, motels or I'm crashing at a buddy's house. Um, you know I was just so tired of living. You know at this point in my life and. And I truly believe God knew. And, you know, I had plans to take my life the following day. It was like, you know, you always, the the the, the demonic spirit of, of suicide, it's like you kind of get like little, you know, little little like messages in your head. And, you know, it's like, okay, like time's just bad. It's all right. But finally, it was time, you know, like I, I felt like this world was, was better off without me. I felt like, I was going to do my family a favor. Um, they, they were done with me and it was just, it, I didn't, the, the, the pain of living finally surpassed the joy I got from using drugs. And so what started out maybe five years before that as an innocent decision, you know, it, it really, it turned into, I didn't want to live. And I was dead set on, on doing everyone what felt like a favor. It would have been the biggest would have been a monster, monster, you know, um, unchangeable mistake. And what happened that night was my father, who I didn't talk to in some time, he drove four and a half hours because something, which I call God, tugged on his heart, said, go offer your son help. Because what's so scary with student athletes and with being an athlete is that same mentality, that football mentality I always had where it's like, I got myself in this problem. I have to get myself out, but I couldn't, I couldn't get out by myself. And I was, I, I just felt like I couldn't 
live without a drug. I felt like there was no way to beat this. I got myself in this problem. I need to fix it myself. And um, thank God that my dad was obedient. And he drove down four and a half hours and knocked on the door. He said, son, I love you. I just want my son back. And here's an opportunity to get help. I don't know what's going on in your life, but these people said they can help you. And, you know, I gave him a hug. And it was the first time in my life where I didn't even have the courage to, to – I to to ask for help, but I thank God I had the the courage to accept it, and I accepted help, and I went to I went to an inpatient treatment center in Richmond, Virginia, that specialized in um, drugs, alcohol, and gambling because that was something that held me back too. And um, you know that I went there for 28 days, and it was a just a clinical treatment center. They didn't they didn't have any. Uh, you know, faith or different things in there. They, they really encouraged you to go on your own route and recovery. And, um, this 28 day program. It was great. Uh, at that point I decided to, to relocate to Florida, uh, cause I didn't have much holding me back in Ohio. I wanted to restart my life. But before I was leaving, they do like a little coin out ceremony where, you know, everyone says something nice about you and they send you on your way. Well, I was about to leave, and and uh, this therapist, Kristen, and I love her. She um, she came running up to me, crying, right when I'm leaving, and I'm like, like, what's going on? You know, I just want to get out of here, like, <laughs> settle down. And uh, she goes, Luke, I need you to read the story of Esther in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Yes, ma'am, I'll, I'll read the story of Esther. She goes, Esther four fourteen. Perhaps you were created for such a time as this. And she goes, God's going to do something with this, I promise you. And uh, so I promised her I'd read it. So I, I listened to it on audio. I think I drive back to Youngstown before I go to Florida. It's a great, great reading. Um, end up going down to Florida. And, you know, at this point, I'm still, you know, I'm like 40 days sober and still trying to figure out life. So I was like, listen, I'll give this 90 days, do what anyone tells me to do. My life doesn't get better, you know, it, it was worth a shot. So I get a mentor down here, a sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous, and he tells me to go to church. And I was like, okay, I'll go to church. So I go to church for the first time in about, I want to say about seven, eight years. And down, they said, who wants to surrender their life to Christ? And I probably went down for more selfish motives than anything. But if you want to talk about Christ meeting you where you're at, this guy says this beautiful two-minute prayer over me, and he paused for about five seconds. And he said, and Mr. Luke, perhaps you're created for such a time as this. Wow. Oh, and, praise um, God. yeah, Amen. praise God. Amen. And, you know, just, I got chills. You know, I could start crying right now every time I say that. And, um, you know, just completely, you know, grabbed me from the grips of hell. And, um you know, spark something in me that, that that's become a journey to know his heart better for me and to, and, and just show, showed me a love and a, and a forgiveness that I never experienced before. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been a, it's been a journey. There's been ups and downs. Um, but I could tell you that, that I, I know he's been with me. He, 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 he saved my life and, um, you know, everything that happened for a reason, and 
um, ever since that day, I went on that journey. And so, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been incredible. Wow. Excuse me. That's, that's powerful, man. So you had said, uh, when you stepped foot in that church, it was the first time you had done so in seven years. So let's just take a step back. Had you grown up uh, going to church? Was faith something that um, was important in your family growing up? Or what did that kind of look like for you? Yeah, so I actually grew up in a, in a Catholic household. My mother is 100% Italian Catholic. I love her. She's, I said that she, she, she probably burned more candles. She, she paid the mortgage at the church, you know, for probably for three or four years. You know, as many candles she's burning to save my son. And, um, she, God bless her. And so, yeah, I grew up in the Catholic church and Sunday, Sunday was a chore every week, you know, to go sit for an hour. And, um, at that point in my life, it was, um, it was just something that we did. And so, um, I actually got rebaptized in, in, uh, the non-denominational church, um, down here, Amen. but, um, you know, yeah, yeah, Praise you know, it, it, for me, it, 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 yeah, it was, it's relationship over religion, and Amen. And, and and that that's what, you know that's what I want to know is his heart, his will, his what, 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 where, where do you want me? And um, and um, you know, it's 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 not about just going to church every Sunday. It's 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 so much so much more than I ever realized, and you know, because because. It's, I'm reading actually reading this book now called Gospel. I forget who it's by, but um, they talk about without a relationship, you know, religion is a burden. You know, going to church on Sunday is a burden. But like, I want, I want to to go honor and worship God at that time. I want to tithe because I get pleasure from it for the relationship that I have with Him. Without that relationship, it's a burden. You know, it could be a burden to yes. be a Christian if you don't yes. have that. Amen. And, yes. and, and 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 so for a long time, it was a burden. And, you know, um, one of my favorite, favorite verses is, you know, James 4, 8, draw near to God, God will draw near to you. And, and it's Amen. so true to the more I've drawn, you know, closer to him, he, he's, he's, he's drawn even closer to me. And, um, you know, it, um, it's, it's a pleasure to, to, to just really try to be as obedient as I can. And, and to know, like I said, to grow that relationship. And it's amazing to me, the story of your dad. You know, it, 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 your father drives four hours to come to you, his son, you know, and I think it's such it's such a representation of God. You know what I mean? Like the father leaves the ninety nine to come after the one your father comes down to you. But you still had the responsibility to open the door, you know, and I think that that's what it is. It's God's there just waiting for us to open the door and invite him in. And when we do, that's when life transformation happens. And so it's so amazing, that story. And then just to see how that was real life for you. Let me say this. I think sometimes what you you said too, uh, Luke, you know, when you you went to that church and somebody, uh, the the pastor says, does anybody want to give their heart to Christ? Okay, you know, uh, not blowing any smoke on me, but when I have the opportunity to speak, I always give people that opportunity. There might be one here tonight, right? Just if there's one. But, you know, and sometimes we say, well, coach is old school. But just what happened, when you when you respond to that altar call, it takes courage to get up from your seat and walk down that aisle. Mm-hmm. Your heart's pumping. 
your hands are clammy, you're nervous, you don't know. But when you get there, the power of God just falls on you. And you know, you don't really know how or why or whatever, but you know you're different. Because you you responded to the call. Amen. Absolutely. I hundred percent agree with you. And uh it um you know, I, I think a lot of times uh, the, the the devil and listen, I, the world gets in a gets gets in the in the way so much and, and like you said, you for me and, and for a lot of people, the relationship came when we had nothing else to go to. You know, like right. we, we couldn't feed, we couldn't feed that hole in our heart. And it's like, it takes us, it, it takes a broken person to, 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 to see God it takes a courageous act of getting up out of your seat, Amen. you know, and putting away insecurities and fears to, to accept God. I mean, he, he wants us to proclaim, you know, he is Lord and Amen. then he wants us to believe it in our hearts. Amen. You know, that's another verse I love Romans ten nine. you yeah. know, it, it, we have to proclaim it. Yes. And um, we can't we can't just you know always expect um, for, for for God to do everything and for us to do nothing in this journey. So, Amen. That's good. Have you ever thought back to that moment when your dad was there and what led you to accept his offer for help at that point? I mean, you had mentioned that your plan was the next day to take your life. So, what was it? Do you think that mentally? allowed you to accept that i think i was completely shattered i there was no ego left you know there was there was um just a, a broken hurt person that was too afraid to ask for help I, I i think too a lot of times um people want help but they don't they don't know how to ask it so whenever i speak in these schools i always talk about three points and my second point is always um, is not just to ask for help, it's to accept help because, you know, I think that to encourage young people to, to like I said earlier with, with conversation, really dig in and ask if there's anything that, that you can do for, uh, do for someone because I think we have a really hard time um, asking for help ourselves. And so just the, I was, you know, when he, when he offered help, like there wasn't a fight, there wasn't, a, it was, I was ready. And if he didn't offer me help, I wouldn't be alive. I, I, I believe that, you know, but God had other plans. Amen. I, I really hope that the people that are listening to this podcast are really are not letting the words that you're saying just go in one ear and out the other. But I, I truly believe that there is somebody or there are multiple people that are listening to this that find themselves in that place where maybe they feel too far gone or, or uh, you know, they're, they're just internally crying out for help and, and just to know that that's available, you know? And so how is it today? You know, is it a constant battle? Do you still have days where you're, you're fighting that temptation? Is it a daily surrender to the Lord? I mean, yeah, just kind of talk to us about wh- where you are now. Yeah, you know, it. Um, I'm a new creation in Christ, and um, the the mental obsession to, to to drink and to use and to gamble, you know, He lifted it, and, and I do believe that it's it stays. Uh, that's always a contingency upon my, my spiritual condition and my connection and my relationship with Jesus. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 the tough thing is just living in the world and staying true to that because, uh, you know, you can have an army walk in one way and sometimes you have to walk through it. 
um, the opposite way and try to try to go against the world in some some ways and be obedient to his his word because just like an innocent decision i try to be very aware of my life because just like the innocent decision to take a couple percocets i know a couple innocent decisions can snowball my life um the same way and take me further and further away from jesus and lead me astray um so you know i i, I do think um my relationship with jesus is, is, is everything and um doesn't mean that I've been perfect by any any stretch of the imagination but um but just keeping him him center you know it's my thing is joy in my life jesus others and and then yourself mm. and um I found no greater joy in my life than than keeping those things in order and trying to not replace that order to, to at any point because listen whether it's finances whether it's different things like that um, job, anything, Whitman, um, you know, they, the, those things try to block me and distract me from, from why I'm even here in the first place. Um, and so, you know, if anyone's out there struggling, I want you to know that you, you were created on purpose for a purpose yes. and you may be walking through your purpose in some kind of dark pain. And I get that. And, um, you know, that there's just more for your life and, and Jesus has a plan for you. And, um, I'll tell you a, a story that's probably just up there with, with, with me going to the church. I was, um, I was, I was working as a behavioral technician, like four or five months sober at a treatment center down here in Florida. And these two clients were going to leave the facility and, you know, you could just see in their eyes that, you know, the devil had, had a hold of them and they, they were ready to leave and, there's a recovery Bible on the bed and, and they're like, Luke, we just don't want to make any, a big scene. Like we're leaving. There's nothing you can do. I said, okay. The recovery Bible was 1500 pages. And I said, pick a number one through 1500. And the young lady says 77, pick open 77. The full letters at the top exit dot, 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 leave dot, 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 escape. The first paragraph, when your dream turns to a nightmare, you feel so hopelessly lost. Your only option is to get on your knees and beg God for help. And there's someone going through that season right now. And, and I watched their lives get radically transformed by getting on their knees and begging God for help. And he will answer. He, prayer is enough. He, 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 he wants you to, to have a fulfilled life. He wants you to come to him. He wants a relationship with all of us. And um, I could tell you from experience that there's no amount of prestige, money, women, drugs, gambling, Anything in this world can fulfill you. I used to, I was making $10 an hour crying with gratitude when I was four months sober because I had a relationship with Jesus. It gave me everything I needed. Financial insecurity left me. Everything, you know, the, the need to be loved by a woman left me. You know, everything. It, it, it's the most fulfilling, rewarding, purposeful life that you could experience is coming to Jesus and getting to know his heart. Wow, wow. Incredible. It's incredible, Luke. I can't tell you how proud I am of you, the courage you had, the courage you have, and just your focus and intentional reasoning every day to be an example of the grace of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I I believe that 
you know, and I, I think we all believe this, that life is not meant to be done alone. You know, and I think we need people in our corners fighting for us, investing in us, shepherding us and discipling us and holding us accountable. And so who are those people in your life? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, well, I could tell you my father is a great, uh, he's been, uh, you know, not only a great role model in my whole life, but um, someone that I always count on. Um, I have a couple spiritual advisors, you know, uh, Dave Cahoot in uh, Youngstown. He actually, uh, he's got a, a, a little memoir book out, uh, Standing in the Presence of Greatness. There's a lot of speaking and just a, a great guy. And then another gentleman down here, uh, Paul Eastman, who I meet with once a week, uh, to, to just, just talk life with and, um, someone that's, that's a lot, you know, been walking in faith, uh, a lot longer than I have. And so, um, I, I, I've just surrounded myself with, you know, people that I want what they have in terms of a relationship with Jesus. It's not necessarily, you know, a lot of people, it's like, <laughs> You, you you want to surround yourself with people that, that that you want what they have, but that doesn't mean material things. Right. <laughs> and that's what right. I always my life was always about. Like I want to be like Jay Z. I want to be like this person or that person. And um, I've found just people that I, I I genuinely want their happiness, and joy, and the way that they handle adverse situations, and the way that that they conduct themselves, and the way they speak. Um, so I've surrounded myself with a few people like that, and I've also surrounded myself with with people um, that are seeking, seeking more. Cause I usually end up getting more out of them, you know, that, that they may have a little less sober time or earlier in their, in their walk. Um, so I've also surrounded myself w- with people that I could try to lift up. Um, Cause I get joy out of being a messenger for God. That's great. That's great. And, and, and I hope that people are listening, you know, like you said, you're not doing it alone. You've got other people that you've invited in. And so for that person out there that does feel alone, man, uh, find people that, that you can just, that can pour into you and fight for you. And man, that that's absolutely awesome. This is, I was just to jump on over top of you there, Mike, it's an incredible interview here today. And one that the Holy Spirit's going to use, you know, throughout the world. Amen. You know, he'll move on the hearts of men and women who will plug into the Champions podcast and many lives will be transformed as a result of hearing this testimony. Absolutely. Absolutely. Luke, were were there any scriptures then or now that you just kind of cling to or just kind of use as your your war cry that maybe somebody listening to it, it can just minister to their heart hearing it? Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, Esther 414 is uh, something that's near and dear to my heart. You know, perhaps your prayer for this time is this. And different translations, you know, uh, perhaps you came to this royal position for such a time as this. And uh, John 1010 is is something that I love. uh, You know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, destroy. You know, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Amen. And... um, and I've seen the enemy come um, in, in many different areas of my life. And uh, the drugs were probably just the, just a little part of it. I could, I could see when it's coming now in different areas. And so, um, you know, I could tell you this in my walk that I've never, I have yet, probably in my life, 
ever regretted an act of discipline or an act of obedience. Hmm. And, and, and acting on pleasure or flesh, I, you know, oh, it would have almost taken my life. And so, um, you know, I love that verse. That, that, that's one that's near. And Romans, Romans 10, 9, like I said, uh, proclaim with your mouth that, you know, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Amen. And that's a promise. Amen. And um, Amen. so and it's true. You know, he, he, he saved me. And, you know, I, I started proclaiming it and then I, I believed it in my heart. And I, I still believe it in my heart. Amen. So, um, you know, save me from the world. And you've, you've got an incredible testimony. And so, you know, what are you up to now? What, what's life looking like now? I know you're doing something you're very passionate about. And so just share with our audience what you're doing. And that way, if there are people that find themselves in this place, they can hear of a, of a facility that might be able to give them hope. Yeah. So I actually work for one of the largest private treatment providers in the country, uh, Banyan Treatment Center. And I'll tell you a, a quick story about how I got the job is, uh, you know, I, I was looking for, uh, I was probably about a year sober and still pretty early, early by, you know, to work in treatment. And um, I was going to work on their outreach team. I, I hadn't told my story yet nationally. I hadn't, I hadn't really um, done too much of that. So um, I went to him and I'm like, listen, I don't know what I can offer you guys. I love Jesus. He saved my life. I promise you that I'll be ethical. I'll treat people right. And I believe God has a plan. And, uh, you know, turns out they have a faith and recovery program, which is a Christ-centered program at one of our facilities. And um, so it ended up being a great fit. Told my story maybe two months later. So now I'm blessed to, to connect people um, to, to help for mental health, substance abuse, and eating disorders. So we have 11 facilities around the country, um, Florida, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and Massachusetts. And we, we do great work, and it's been a blessing to, to, to go around and um, speak to different groups and, and to get people help they need. We have a really hurting country. And so if anyone out there is struggling with any of those things, you can call the number for a free consultation, 888-493-4429, and we can walk you and your family step-by-step step, um, and give you guys some options for help. Um, and for me, getting help, obviously, is what changed my life. And so, um, you know, you're not alone in this journey. I could tell you this from an athlete perspective. I can't tell you how many athletes just end up Googling, like, you know, athlete opioid problem or, or athlete mental health problem. And I'll get people – I've had a countless number of current collegiate athletes that are struggling with this thing, you know, and the number of families that have confided in my family and, and myself, it's, you know, it's so much greater than just substance abuse and mental health. I mean, it's – people are hurting. And if it's not drugs, it's sex. If it's not sex, it's gambling. If it's not gambling, it's self-mutilation. If it's, you know, and I can promise you you're not alone out there. And Amen. just like myself, God has a purpose for all of it. Amen. It's good stuff. Well, Luke, we are so thankful for you coming on and sharing your story with us. Praise God for what he's doing and has been doing in your life and we, life and we trust he's going to continue to do. 
and we think we trust that he's going to continue to use you to shed light on the issue, bring hope to feel people feeling hopeless, and draw people into a closer intimacy and dependency with God. We're now going to move, and we're just going to lighten the mood a little bit and let listeners know, uh, get to know you a little better by doing one of my favorite segments called Eli Wants to Know. And so we're going to bring my seven-year-old son, Eli, on, and he's going to ask a hard-hitting question, Luke, that I'm sure all of America wants to know. So are you ready for it? I'm ready. Come on, Eli. (laughs) All right, Eli, are you ready to ask Luke your question? Yeah. Okay, what do you got? Why did you go to Kent State? (laughs) That's a great question. (laughs) I love that. So, you know, Eli, it was – I went to Kent State because they were the only school that thought I was good enough, and they believed in me when no one else believed in me. And – you know, that sometimes a little belief in somebody goes a long way. And so uh, their belief in me inspired me to go play football and to, to sacrifice for them. And it was a great, great relationship. And so that's why I chose Kent State, because they believed in me. That's great. <laughs> great job. Yeah, that's a great question, buddy. Great job, Eli. And thanks, Luke, for answering. Uh, Luke, now we're just going to close out the interview, asking a few lighthearted questions in a segment that we call Three and Out. All right. So what was the Great. last book that you read? Yeah, so the last complete book that I read was actually The Standing in the Presence of Greatness, which is uh, a spiritual advisor of mine, Dave Cahoot's book. And he talks about real accounts of God transforming hearts. And it's a quick, easy read. I definitely, anyone listening to, to, to pick it up, I, I tell you, I wasn't the biggest reader until, until I got sober. And, um, but it's, it's a great read for, for no matter where your comprehension level is at. Awesome. Well, I will definitely check that one out. Now you're on a road trip. What are you listening to on the radio? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big podcast guy. Uh, I love, I love hearing different perspectives and different things like that. I, I normally have way FM on, uh, when I'm just cruising because I believe what you put in your body, whether it's what you're eating, what you're listening to, um, I believe it, it comes back out. We talked about cussing at the beginning Amen. and, uh, you know, I, I, I just, it's funny. Like when I'm listening to bad music, I know my, my, uh, I could feel like some kind of angst and, you know, I, I don't really know what I'm going to say in a frustrated situation, but like when I, when I got Lauren Daigle or something, replaying in my head because I was listening to it. You know, it's like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, hear my cry. <laughs> and uh, usually it stops me from saying something that I regret at a later mm. point. So I'm either cruising and listening to some sort of podcast that, that uh, I, and I mix those up, but uh, Way FM is my go-to station. Okay. T- tell us some of the podcasts you like. Any recommendations? Yeah. So, th- well, this is, he's got a gentleman named Jordan Peterson. He's a, He's a, he's a, he just started like recording himself on YouTube, uh, some of his classes in Canada. And he's been really like standing up to the Canadian government against, cause they're trying to take away a lot of free speech. Um, and so he's, you have to listen to him, but he's just like a great mind in the way that he, you know, talks about, he's got a book too. I think it's like the 12 rules of life. Okay. And so, um, Jordan Peterson, Definitely highly recommend listening to some of his stuff. 
and we'll include that in the show notes. All right, last question. They're making a movie of your life. Who plays you? Yeah, so that's a good question. So I would say Keanu Reeves, and I'll tell you why. I I I, I just love his backstory and what he, he he you know just from the the stuff that I've like researched and, and like seen about him. He's I think the money he made from the Matrix he donated like ninety five percent of it to to um, breast cancer research. His sister passed away of breast cancer. And he's just a guy that's on a purpose, you know, like a, a passion filled purpose because of pain and just the way that they say he lives in such a modest house. And, um, he, he takes the subway every day to work and like, he just kind of flows a little different than everybody. And, uh, I just love what he stands for. And the fact that he does a lot of things out of a very dark place, just, I wouldn't really want anyone else to do it. You know, he, he understands it. Uh, he's a pretty good actor too. So. <laughs> that, that doesn't hurt either, does it? <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll throw that in. Th- those are awesome answers, and and Luke, I just thank you so much for everything today. As, as we close out the interview, I mean, you you shared contact information uh, for for the uh, say it again the Bayron. Yeah, Banyan Treatment Banyan Center. Treatment Center. Banyan. Yes, Banyan Treatment yeah, Center. Yes. If people want to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Are you on social media? Yeah, I'm on social media. It's um, my social media is Luke L U K E underscore Wallet W O L L E T. My Facebook is the same. It's just Luke Wallet, and uh, I've actually forget my Twitter account, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, those are great ways to reach out to me. If you send me a message, I'll respond to it. And, um, you know, I'd love to, you know, talk to whoever. Listen, I understand your pain. If, if that's something you want to reach out about, and everything's always confidential. So, it's great. Well, Luke, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure our listeners have gleaned so much from this. I know God's going to do incredible things through your testimony, and uh, we're excited to to share your story. Amen. Yeah, thank thanks you again. I, tell you, I appreciate yeah. you, Luke. We'll continue to pray for you, your family, your ministry. Just a wonderful, wonderful time being with you today. God bless. God bless you guys. Thank you. Okay, Coach, wow, that was a lot. It was deep. The thing that breaks my heart is the number of stories just like Luke's out there and the number of kids that are currently going through the same struggles that he did. If you're listening to this and you find yourself in a situation, just because you might not think that you're in as deep as Luke was or you don't think it's a problem, there's help out there. Look, the victory's already been won. Jesus defeated addiction on on the through his death and resurrection his death on the cross and his resurrection this is a weapon the enemy uses to try and confuse and deceive us but scripture says coach in isaiah 54:17 no weapon formed against you shall prosper so let's do what it takes to live out that victory and if it's going to a facility then let's go to the facility if it's not too often people view it as a sign of weakness in reality asking for help being dependent on God, that's a sign of strength. Amen. It's leaning on the only strength that we have. And so, as a lot of you saw with Luke's story, God gives hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless. He has plans for your life and he wants to use you. 
I'll tell you, it was an incredible uh, testimony, uh, really inspiring. And I know it has the potential to uh, transform many lives. And like you said, Mike, there's, you know, so, so many people struggling with addiction, whether it's drug, alcohol, gambling, sex. We struggle. We're in a dark time in the history of America. Young people, middle-aged people, see that addiction is no respecter of persons. And so I just trust that, you know, many will tune into the podcast and ask the Holy Spirit to lead them as they listen. Right. You hit the nail on the head, Coach. And now we get to go into one of my favorite segments, segments, Coach. Will you take us into Coach's Corner and share with us what God has been putting on your heart? Well, thanks, Mike. You know, it's always a pleasure for me to share the Word of God. And again, you know, I know not everything I say is for everybody, but there is something for everybody if you open the ears of your heart and listen. I don't necessarily uh, look for a specific topic as we look at the Coach's Corner. I just uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help me, and uh, I'll look read through the Bible. And I just came up again with this incredible story, pretty familiar story, you know, in uh, Mark the 10th chapter, you know, verse 17, this young man comes to Jesus. We, a lot of times we refer to him as the young rich ruler, but he's a young man, just like Luke was, right? And he comes to uh, Jesus and he asks him a legitimate question. He says, what must I do to be saved? You know, it's interesting. That's a good question. It's a legitimate question. And about 7.2 billion people ask that same question every day. Well, the story starts here in Luke ten seventeen, but in verse 19, uh, Jesus tells him, uh, you know, what to do. He basically tells him to keep the word of God, keep the commandments. And the young man, the young rich ruler, responds by saying he's done all this from the time of his youth. But look what Jesus says in verse 21, and Jesus beheld him and loved him and said unto him. In other words, look at it. Jesus, the Bible says Jesus beheld him. He looked right into his eyes and he loved this young man. And he said, there's one thing that you lack. Go sell all of your possessions, give the proceeds to the poor, come back, pick up your cross and follow me. Wow. One thing you lack. It's always that one thing, right? It's always that one thing that we lack. But Jesus, come, come back to me. Pick up your cross. Come under my leadership. Allow my agenda to be your agenda. See? Come unto me. Take my yoke. That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants, to come un- he wants us to come under his yoke, come under his leadership. In verse 22, uh, we see uh, how Jesus responds to what this young man said. The young man said that uh, he couldn't come back. He wouldn't make a sale. Because he had great possessions. Amen? Amen. He had too much stuff. And Jesus says to him, the Bible says, and he was sad at that saying. And he went away grieved. Grief always is associated with death. The word of God, the word that this man received from Jesus made him sad. And the Bible says it grieved Jesus because what, what this young man was uh, saying was to follow you would be for less. It would not be for gain. Amen? Amen. 
how many people you think uh, when they hear the gospel uh, have that kind, that same kind of response that if I do this, my quality of life will not be better. It will be for less. But it made him, it made Jesus sad. It grieved him. And like I said, most of the time that grief is associated with loss. And the Bible says the young man went away for he had great possessions. If you have a Bible, that's what I'd underline because he had great possessions. See, this young man had more faith, more confidence in his possessions than he had in what Jesus was saying. To follow Jesus, to obey Jesus would affect his quality of life. He's thinking following Jesus will be for less. But let me assure you, following Jesus, just like Luke, just when he heard the testimony, you see, following Jesus is always for gain, never for loss. And how many times do we see obeying God as a loss? God answers us. He gives us his word. He says, do this, but we see it as a loss. He says, give that, but we see it as a loss. He says, withdraw from that group and join this group, but we see it as a loss. You see, God tells us in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, we need to come out from the bad company that we're keeping. God is trying to get us to see it as a gain. God is trying to get us to operate in his way of doing so he can bless us. But he can't bless us because we keep operating in the world system. We keep doing the things that are contrary to God's will and purpose for our life. See, God is inviting us. When he said to this young man, go, sell, come back, he's inviting him. He's inviting you and me today into his system of operation. See, we need to understand when the word is being preached or taught, it's God's way of inviting us in. When God calls you to repent, when the minister gives the altar call, as he did for Luke, he's inviting us to operate in this system, in his way of doing or his way of living. God said to that young ruler, he said, go sell all that you have. But the reason this young man could not make a sale was because he didn't have anything. It all had him. He says, and Jesus says in verse 22, verse 22, he says that, again, he says, it's hard. He said, it's hard for a man who has riches to enter into the kingdom of God. See, how much of our stuff has us? Who or what is campaigning in your life to be your God? It could be sports. It could be money. It could be women. It could be sports. It could be a lot of different things, right? That are campaigning to be your God. We need to stay See, what happened to this young rich ruler, I believe, he didn't stay long enough. When Jesus made the offer, he didn't stay and continue to listen. Maybe this young man could have been one of the 12 after Judas, you know, did what he did. We don't know that, see. We do know that he got up and left because he was so 
enamored with what he thought he had. The young rich ruler did not stay long enough to hear what he was about to lose. Amen. You see, the kingdom of God is a way of doing. It's a way of living. If you'll remember in, I believe it's Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, uh, first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. See, first seek the king, his way, he says, aim at and strive after his way of doing, and then all things will be added unto you. See, the kingdom of God here in Matthew 6.33 is a way of living. It's a way of doing. See, what, what, they, what this young man was hearing was rich men or a rich man cannot get into heaven. If, this, if the disciple, so see, we're poor. See, that was, his, that was his mentality, I believe. He thought, well, everybody follows you is poor. But if you think about it, everybody Jesus called had a job. They owned fishing companies. They were lawyers. They were different. There was all kinds of people. They had money, right? They weren't poor. But see, what happened was, poor, see, poor, if they would have been poor, they would have said, we got nothing to lose. Let's follow this dude, right? But they had money. See, they had uh, jobs. They had a company that they owned. And, there's, and if they would have been poor, but they weren't poor. They weren't poor. That's what they would have. But they would. But see, what they're hearing too say, see, trust in riches is, and just like Luke was saying, we can't just trust in riches. See, that's what the world teaches. Go to school, get an education, get a job, make money, and then trust in your riches. Remember the question from the beginning? Who or what is campaigning to be your God? See, all of his life, all of this young man's life, the young rich ruler trusted in his money to pay the rent, to buy the car, to buy his clothes, to wear a vacation, and so on. He trusts in his money. He's saying it's hard for a rich man who has always operated in the world system to now operate in, in God's way of living. What we need to have is a transformed understanding of what God is saying to us. If you come under my leadership, if you allow my agenda to be your agenda, he says you'll never be ignorant again. I so appreciated Luke Walton Wallet's testimony because it tugs on the heart of every person who will listen. It doesn't have to be drugs. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It doesn't have to be gambling. It could be many, many other things that keep you from coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Who knows how God would have used this young rich ruler but we never hear about him again because he got up and he walked away. He said he was sad at what Jesus said and it grieved him. I trust today as you're listening that the Holy Spirit would open the ears of your heart that you would begin to embrace the word of God and allow the word of God to govern your life. That you would purposely Allow yourself to come under the leadership 
of Jesus. Make it a great day, and God bless you. As always, Coach, that was spot on. You know, as you were reading that, I was thinking of Matthew six twenty one. For where your treasure is, there your heart mm. will also will be also. And so good. You know, it was that young ruler's treasure was was his possessions. You know, and and so he his heart wasn't able to uh, release those. And so, I, I believe it was a message that so many of us need to hear. And I think between Luke's testimony and Coach's corner, I think all of our listeners' hearts are going to be overflowing. And so. I'm so thankful for today's podcast. And for those of you that don't know, I'm an area representative for Fellowship of Christian Athletes in York County, Pennsylvania. FCA is a worldwide organization whose vision is to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the influence of coaches and athletes. And one of our goals is to help student athletes grow deeper in their faith with Jesus through Bible studies, which we call huddles in their schools. And over the years, FCA has impacted hundreds of thousands of student athletes and coaches through these huddles. And I just wanted to take a moment and invite you to be part of that. If you heard Luke's story today and you thought, man, how can I be a, how can I play a role in helping to champion Christ in the lives of student athletes and coaches? I have a way. FCA is a support-based ministry, which means we rely on people like yourself to come alongside us and financially champion the ministry. It's this partnership that last year helped see 49,000, over 49,000 student athletes and coaches put their faith in Jesus. So I wanted to invite you to pray about being a part of our team. If each person who listened to this podcast decided to financially champion FCA for $5 a month, the kingdom advancing impact would be exponential. Your support would go to helping assure that every student athlete has a physical Bible. It would help provide scholarships for kids who couldn't afford to otherwise attend camps. It would help provide resources for uh, for coaches to help them to go from being transactional to transformational and much more. If you'd like to partner with what God is doing here in York County, there will be a link in our show notes. But you can go to my.fca.org backslash Mike Rubin, M-I-K-E-R-U-B-I-N. If this is your first time hearing about Fellowship of Christian Athletes and you want to learn more, just go to FCA. That's so true, Mike. And you know, everybody listening today can do something. Not everybody can do everything, but everybody can do something. I reflect back on my own life when I was a mess and lost. And Captain Bill Lewis, a regional director for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, came to my office and I never thought my problem was spiritual because I'd been going to church all my life, but I would learned over the last 35, 40 years that going to church doesn't change people. And Captain Bill shared the gospel with me, and he actually led me to the Lord, and all the resources that FCA made available to me enabled me to uh, hold a huddle once a week for our student-athletes. It wasn't mandatory. And over the years, I've seen many, many, many of the guys that I had the pleasure of coaching come to the saving knowledge of Christ. So it's putting, you know, good seed in good soil when you invest in Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Absolutely. And if you didn't get the chance to listen to our second episode where we interviewed Tress Way and you want to find out the role that FCA played in an athlete's life firsthand – 
Tress is a testament to what impact FCA can have in somebody's life. And so we thank you all so much for listening. We can't wait to share March March's guest with you shortly. And guys, if you would, please subscribe to the podcast, share it and review. The more you guys do that, the more accessible it'll be and easier for other listeners to find it. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Stitcher and Google Podcasts. Coach, you want to sign us off? Well, man, it's been a great day. You know, uh, Luke's testimony was incredible. I'm inspired. I definitely want to do more to advance the kingdom of God, and I'm looking forward to our next podcast. And I thank God that he's been honored in all that we've said or done today. Amen? Amen. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. CMF Curo is the country's first Catholic health care ministry to provide an affordable health sharing solution rooted in Catholic teaching and community. Learn more at MyCatholicHealthCare.com slash podcast. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com slash podcast.